At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. And welcome back to the CQ Budget Podcast. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. And another week has gone by, and Congress is no closer, it seems, to a deal on an emergency spending package that would provide military aid to Israel and Ukraine as war rages in both countries. If anything, talks took a step backward this week when the House Speaker warned he would not have the votes to pass a broad package as the White House has sought, and it would have to be done in a piecemeal fashion. And senators remain in a stalemate over immigration policy changes that Republicans insist must be enacted along with Ukraine aid. Meanwhile, negotiations over top-line spending limits for this year's appropriation bills seem to be going nowhere fast as the clock ticks down to a January deadline for some of that spending. And lawmakers have been busy adding money to defense spending bills that the Pentagon never requested. So we want to talk about all of those developments this week. Joining me for that conversation are Aiden Quigley, the appropriations reporter at CQ Roll Call. Welcome back, Aiden. Thanks for having me, David. And John Donnelly, the star defense reporter at CQ Roll Call. Thanks for being here, John. Always a pleasure. So let's start with the uh, supplemental spending bill, because um, that is sort of priority number one for congressional leaders, I think, to get done before the Christmas recess, was the hope anyway. Uh, It's not looking very good. Aiden, where do you think we are? Is is it still going to be possible to get a deal for, for Israel, for Ukraine? It's hard to imagine they leave for the Christmas break without helping Israel and Ukraine to some extent as these wars rage on. Yeah, I mean, as you point out, I think we're kind of in a uh, stalemate, stalled out position here in these talks. I mean, I think, you know, as we've reported and it's been much, much discussed. Uh, the barter piece is really uh, a key issue here where Republicans are looking for barter policy changes. And uh, those talks seem to be completely stalled out at this point. At least there's no signs of any breakthrough that is imminent. And Senate Republicans say they need that piece to say yes to a wider supplemental package. Even those, you know, as we've talked about many times, Senate Republicans do want to support Ukraine. But in this round of talks, they, they want, you know, border policy changes as well, to, you know, in order to say yes to the wider package. And, and we're not seeing any sign that those are coming. Yeah, it, it really is striking because there there is bipartisan support for Ukraine still, as you point out. And yet for Republicans, I think it's fair to say that that border security, the southern border here uh, with Mexico, is has really become their overwhelming concern, much more than the war in Israel even, <laughs> and, and Putin's aggression in Ukraine. 
Republicans are determined to use this as leverage to enact immigration policy changes they have long sought for years now and can't get. It gets very complicated as as to what those immigration policy changes would be. There are bipartisan talks going on, you know, behind some back rooms amongst a handful of senators trying to see if they can reach a deal. But I talked to Lindsey Graham of South Carolina Thursday, I think it was, and I said, how are the border talks going? He says, they're stuck. And I said, how bad? And he said, bad. It doesn't sound very hopeful. And without a border deal, there will be no bipartisan support, at least for Ukraine aid. I guess that raises the prospect, well, might they pass something separately for Israel? Um, But it looks just to be increasingly a mess. Yeah, it's really kind of we're in a sticky situation at this point. I mean, I think that the Senate, you know, uh, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer is making it clear that he wants to move this full package, you know, as laid out by the Biden administration next week. But the Republicans aren't going to go after that unless there's some kind of miracle barter agreement in the next, you know, over the weekend, which again, there's no sign of. So that would look like it would be trending towards a failed vote, even though, as you said earlier, Republicans do widely, especially the Senate, support Ukraine at this point. But And John, you can probably speak to this because this military aid that they're seeking, I mean, it takes a long time to actually get to the battlefield, never mind just passing Congress, right? I mean, Israel has requested this $14 billion as, as they try to crush Hamas, there's no sign of it. it. They've been waiting a long time now. That's a problem. And then, and then Ukraine has been has been begging for months and months for more money for weapons. They say they're running out of bullets and stuff. Uh, I mean, hard to know exactly when the crunch point is, and the administration isn't really specific on that. Although they, I think they've said, if they don't get it by the end of this year, they're in trouble. Uh, and it's even if Congress passes it tomorrow, it, it it takes quite a long time to actually get into the field, is my understanding. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and you know, it, there's a huge misconception about these pa- packages because you know it's it's called you know Ukraine aid or Israel aid as if it's you know money or or, or weapons that we're just going to put on a ship or a plane. You know, mostly what it is 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 stuff to you know repay repay the Pentagon in the case of Ukraine in particular for work it it has done or is doing to bolster security in Europe or to 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 sign contracts for weapons that have yet to be built right so not not ready to ship but you haven't even been built yet. Or, you know, in some cases, there's money there for weapons that are still under development. <laughs> so th- that's about the opposite of an emergency. So, um, yeah, well, there's, there's, also, there's also money, though, to replenish the, the weapons that have been already sent to Ukraine, right? I mean, the Pentagon wants to spend a lot of that money here yes. at home with defense contractors yeah. to, to replenish the stuff right. they've already had to give up to send over there. Yeah, that's partly what I meant by repay the Pentagon. But um, okay. right. So, so yeah, it's not, you know, I think especially in the case of Ukraine, it is, you know, I think if it's not done by Christmas, it's not the end of the world for either country, Ukraine or Israel. Although I think Ukraine is, you know, 
probably in a more dire position. Yeah, it's it's it, it has to happen at some point. But the key here, especially with regard to Ukraine, is the message it would send uh, if America can is is not going to continue, you know, or is is going wobbly as as Maggie Thatcher uh, used to say, is going wobbly in its support for Ukraine because. You know, a lot of countries around the world are looking to see, is the United States going to continue? And that's going to have an effect on their willingness to continue to support Ukraine. So to me, it's more about the the message, um, uh, really, to Vladimir Putin. Yeah. And yet you do have a sizable number of House Republicans who really resist any more aid to Ukraine. They say they've already spent over $100 billion on Ukraine. Their constituents just don't want to see, they see it going down an endless rabbit hole at this point. They don't see an end game. There is a growing frustration with it. And and another problem, I think, too, is, you know, Biden proposed this $106 billion supplemental package and $60 billion of it is for Ukraine. It's the biggest slice. Uh, it's not Israel. It's actually Ukraine. Now, I could see, you could, you could imagine... I'm, it's not clear they need $60 billion right away. That's huge. They can't even spend that much that quickly, right? So you could see a compromise forming where, you know, $60 billion was supposed to take them through the whole fiscal year. It doesn't mean that they need all that right now, right? So you you could see maybe a smaller piece going to Ukraine as some kind of compromise. But I take your point that if they get nothing uh, by the Christmas break, it, it would send a powerful message I would think to Vladimir Putin. Yeah, and I think I think there is, I know, or at least so far from votes cast so far, there is a majority in both chambers that would support the sixty plus billion dollars for Ukraine. The key is, as Aiden was referring to, this border stuff, whatever it is. And by the way, I don't think we're going to know until near Christmas Eve because I think both sides are going to yeah. dig in on this. Yeah. And and so what is that border package going to look like? And because, you know, we're, we're, a lot of people are saying what will Republicans, well, people are talking about what both parties will agree to. But, but one thing to think about is whatever they come up with, um, how many, how much will it cause Democrats to vote against the package if it's not to their liking, especially in the House, well, both chambers really. But especially because of GOP opposition to Ukraine aid in the House, the margins are so narrow there that they can't afford to lose many uh, Democratic votes due to a border compromise that Democrats disagree with. Because Democrats have been united to a person so far in in supporting uh, Ukraine aid. But if there's something in there with regard to the southern border that will turn off a number of them, that is the thing that could jeopardize um, the aid. That's right. And that's what has Chuck Schumer, the Senate Majority Leader, so upset. He's complaining every day on the floor now that Republicans are throwing in the most partisan issue of immigration into a package that he doesn't see the need to address even as part of this. Um, because it is the toughest nut to crack. I mean, immigration has long been the <laughs> this impossible issue to resolve, and and Republicans are adamant they want to see tighter rules on on seeking asylum and this humanitarian parole uh, that they say has just become a blanket, you know, get out of jail free card where migrants can just come and enter the country and stay 
without the risk of deportation. And it's just too broad. And Democrats are afraid they're going to be too tough and, and crack down unfairly on people who are who are desperate to flee their, their home countries. It's really tough. And yet all of this aid money now would appear to hinge on that, Aiden. I mean, the margins really don't look good for a deal. I definitely uh, agree that it's it's cloudy, at least at this point, and it's going to be a upward, upward climb for a bipartisan deal on the supplemental. Not to say that it's impossible. Yeah, it, it, it does seem like it, it's challenging to see how we got there, but there's definitely a lot of willpower to pass this big package and and provide funding to Ukraine and Israel, and we'll have to see how it plays out. But it's uh, an uphill climb for sure. Yeah, I'm already hearing whispers that the Christmas recess could be in jeopardy here because they don't. I mean, in the Senate, they don't want to leave. They don't want to leave town without without aid uh, of some sort. Um, Every and, year they threaten that, and it, I don't think it ever happens to my. Yeah, I mean, who knows? So but um, I'm really, uh, I'm not changing my uh, my trade at this point. All right. So even as this is going on, though, Aiden, we do want to talk about where we are on appropriations for the for the fiscal year, which began. Remind people last October first. They're way overdue again. Still no deal on on overall top line spending to get appropriations going, even though the House and Senate have passed some of their bills, but it's kind of meaningless until you have these overall limits that can have real bills that could actually become law. What's the latest? What have you heard? Are are these talks really progressing? Anything happening? Yeah. So we're currently kind of in, similar to the border talks that we talked about earlier, it looks like we, there's nothing imminent uh, either way, from from what we're hearing, aids to the leaders are talking about top lines at this point. You know, uh, three out of the four parties say that they have a top line agreement, essentially, which is the debt limit deal. However, House Republicans are not yet on board with that, as we've seen all year. They've been writing bills at a, to lower numbers, and it appears that Speaker Johnson is. Ali, you know, he might be trying to get a lower spending level. That's something a lot of his his conference wants. So we're currently kind of in a wait and see period, as we've reported on extensively, in order to meet that first mid deadline, mid January deadline for appropriations. There is a little bit of a tight turnaround here, where they will need a top line agreement in the next couple of weeks in order to allow staff to do all the work that they need to do to get us to passing full-year appropriation bills in January. So next week is a crucial week, but I wouldn't be stunned if we're sitting here on next Friday saying the same thing, that there's still no top-line agreement, and it looks like we might be trading towards another CR. You you would or would not be stunned? I assume would not be stunned. Would not be stunned. Right. I would not be stunned. Right. Uh, it, it, that, it, you know, a top-line agreement is challenging for the speaker the politics of it are complicated to put it lightly there's a lot of members of this conference who will want pretty strong cuts that democrats will never go for so and you know obviously democrats control the senate and the white house so there has to be some give and take and it'll be fascinating to watch how that how that plays out but without top line agreement speaker johnson will be unable to live up to his promise of no more short-term CRs after January. 
So it's really, they really the ball really needs to start moving next week. Now, we did see maybe a glimmer of hope this week on that front, Aiden, because we did see leaders of the House Freedom Caucus, the most rebellious conservative faction of the House Republicans, come out and say, essentially, effectively conceding the battle over the the, the lower limit of spending that they had initially sought, right? Um they, yeah, they had so initially we, sought to pare back spending to fiscal 2022 levels. They've effectively conceded that and saying that's not going to happen. They know that. They do seem more amenable now to the to the spending limit that was in the debt limit deal from last spring, which which does give them a higher that is a higher amount of spending. Although they say that it can't come with all these gimmicks and side deals and everything that they oppose, which which adds up to big money. So that's still a huge hurdle. But maybe a little a little ground given there from the from the conservatives. Yeah, so you know, we've reported on this right after Mike Johnson became speaker and we saw that members of the House Freedom Caucus were no longer pursuing these self-executing cuts, you know, publishers were no longer pursuing those. Um it's been, you know, it was clear kind of earlier on, but well before this week, I would I would argue that the Freedom Caucus was no longer pushing for cuts as severe as they said they were based on what we were seeing in the bills. And, you know, members of the Freedom Caucus, including Ralph Norman and a handful of others said that, you know, they there was just not enough time to continue to push for deeper cuts and wall many of the bills. So well, that's progress, they, though. That is progress. I mean, it's a narrowing of the of the huge gulf that existed before. Yeah, it, it is progress, but I, I guess the point I'm trying to make is that's not new to this week. You know, we saw that before okay, Thanksgiving, right? But they they made it a little more explicit this week, I guess. But but it, which helps you know in sort of defining the terms here and uh, of 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 where the differences are. But we we still have House and Senate bills that I think are roughly seventy five billion dollars apart, which is not chump change, right? It's like three times what they spend on NASA every year. I mean, it's a huge, it, it would pay for a lot of stuff. Um, yeah. And that's a huge and, gap that still has to be closed. Yes. And, and on that point, I think there's a lot uh, to unpack in regards to the debt limit agreement and the side deals. And we saw Chip Roy uh, earlier this week say that Mike Johnson should basically toss out this ideal, which is what got Democrats on board to the, to both of the debt limit lot and it's billions and billions of dollars in non-defense spending on the line. And, and you know, Jeff Roy said that he would be happy with, you know, the defense increases in the debt limit law and the text of the debt limit law, which says that non-defense will be at a much lower level. So I think that that is something to watch. I think that is what the new talking point slash argument from uh, conservatives is going to be, that we need to get to the levels in the deal. We made the deal and look at the text of the agreement and toss out all these backroom handshake deals, which, as we, as I pointed out in the story I did on this earlier in the week, was one of the reasons why the top Democrat on House Appropriations was the lower voted against the Delamont deal, because you know a non-binding handshake agreement is non-binding and the handshake, and it's not in the text of the law, which is what Chip Roy is now saying should be done for appropriations. Right, and that's, so that's the big source of the fight now, right? Because without those side deals, non-defense programs take a big hit. 
and it's the side deals that kind of keep it's the side deals that kind of keep non-defense spending sort of level at least flat. Um, and so th- there's a major point of tension there is, is are they going to respect those those side agreements or or not that were made under a former speaker who has since been ousted, right? So I mean that's that's a huge sticking point now that that still has to be resolved. Yeah, exactly. And obviously Democrats will not go for the Democrats are needed to pass any appropriations as we've seen time and time and time again. And they're not going to go for any appropriations that are partisan appropriations, but like any final full year, everything that's going to be signed by, by President Biden that Democrats need to support. So they're not going to go for something that slashes non-defense spending to that level. So there will have to be some kind of agreement or we'll get a government shutdown. So it, January is going to be really busy. I'm going to try to enjoy my December as much as possible. Okay. Meanwhile, as appropriations talks uh, are going nowhere, uh, John, you did some great reporting this week on all of the money that it just doesn't get looked at very often. And it's not huge money, we should say, in the, in the scheme of, a, of, a, of the defense budget. But there's billions of dollars here that, that Congress is adding to defense bills that the Pentagon never requested. And they, they, they go... they usually get wrapped in and approved virtually without any scrutiny. Tell us about what you found. Yeah. Well, first of all, you know, it's not new for Congress to add money for defense programs, right? Um, And in fact, it's their prerogative and their duty to do so. But it has become something of a free-for-all. It is is growing um, and it is not widely understood uh, the extent uh, to which this is happening. When we talk about the Congress increased the defense budget by X billion dollars, but that's the net, right? That's the net of the ads compared to the subtractions. But it takes some digging, and our friends over at Taxpayers for Common Sense, an advocacy organization, did some of the digging and shared some of the data with me. And um, they, they, they shared it with me last year. And what they found in the fiscal 23 bill was that Congress added $61 billion worth of stuff uh, in, in all the different defense accounts, two-thirds of it in research and procurement, meaning mostly weapons. And the number of items was uh, nearly 1,000 different ads uh, in the final FY23 defense bill. Okay. So now this year, and that was when they had a $44 billion increase. It doesn't look like they're going to, to the top line, it doesn't look like they're going to have an increase like that this year. And of course, they're not done as we just discussed. They're still talking about the top lines. But so far, when you look at the House and the Senate appropriations bills, uh, there is a total between the two bills of just looking now at the research and procurement piece of this, which is a big, which is the big piece of the of where they add money each year. There is nearly twenty six billion dollars worth of additional of, of congressional additions to the defense budget not requested by the administration, and in fact, overwhelmingly not even included in the so called wish list that the that the top defense department leaders give Congress every year of things that they would like to see that didn't make the budget, right? So this is almost entirely congressionally initiated things. Now, it's not like the 
Secretary of Defense has a, a monopoly on wisdom, right? There are great ideas out there in small businesses and universities around the country. And that's what's happening here is people are going to lawmakers and saying, we've got a great project and we just need a few million dollars for it. And it is, and, and that is happening times 1,000, literally times 1,000 every single year. And it's adding up to scores of billions of dollars. The $61 billion I talked about in FY23, that's roughly the size of the Department of Homeland Security budget. The $24 billion that in, in research and procurement in this year's bills is a tantamount to having a second space force. Um, it's so a good-sized chunk you, of change, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, relative to an $800 billion defense budget, maybe, it's, maybe it is, as you said at the outset, you know, not huge. But by any normal, you know, view yeah. of dollars, it's a lot of money. And again, I'm not saying it's all waste, fraud, and abuse. But nobody knows where, you know, nobody knows the following. Um, have we gotten anything for any of this money? No one is studying that. I've asked. I've asked the Inspector General of DOD, the GAO, and others. Um, nobody is looking at whether there is duplication uh, they explain why they're not looking at that, John? Is it just not uh, worth their time? They can't. Um... It would be a big project, and I, for whatever they don't know, they didn't explain why. Um, there's a, there's just no pressure, really. No one's really been paying attention to this. Yeah, it doesn't get a lot of attention because it's it's a thousand programs that each cost a few million dollars. Now, some of them are a few hundred million dollars. But most of them are five, ten million dollars for things nobody's ever heard of. You don't know who the congressional sponsor is. You don't know what the project is. So they don't get press coverage, and so there's no pressure on members to do anything about this. In fact, the only pressure they have is from their constituents to help out the local university or the local contractor. And so then the debate really becomes: so is this stuff waste, as critics would say, or is it? Is it valuable projects that are going to that are going to lead to more effective weapons for the Pentagon? Right. Well, I, you know, nobody knows for sure, but my gut tells me it's a combination of the two. That there are some great ideas that need to be funded uh, in this way that the top leadership of the Pentagon doesn't know about, but that there is probably a lot of duplication and and yeah, a lot of waste. You know, the irony here is Congress has redefined earmarks as things that go non-competitively to non-profit organizations. And that is just a tiny little portion of the, of the additions in spending that Congress lards on every year. But these are not earmarks because they're supposed to be competitively, and they are, in strictly speaking, competitively awarded. But it's an open secret that um, you can have a competition but you know darn well that only one company makes that technology, and so only one company is going to bid. And you know darn well that the Pentagon or the or the Air Force Research Lab in New Mexico or whatever is going to say, "Let's see, Senator So and So, we found out is the one who added this in, and here's why, and here's what he wants to see funded. So we're going to make that happen." Again, there's no research that documents all this, but in my reporting in talking to insiders, current and former appropriations staff, lobbyists, Defense Department officials, this is how the game is played. Obviously, you're troubled by it. Do you think anyone else is at this point? 
No, not really. <laughs> I mean, there there are, um, you know, obviously some of the uh, public interest groups or taxpayer monitors, uh, you know, like Taxpayers for Common Sense or Project on Government Oversight, they are concerned about it. And and I'm sure there's some, some level of concern, but people have to know about it first in order to be concerned. And I don't think it's gotten much attention. It's uh, it's kind of a it's kind of an amorphous thing, right? Um, it's easier to talk about adding uh, X billion dollars, you know, X million dollars for more F-35s, right? That's something you can picture. It, but what I'm talking about is 1,000 different weeds <laughs> or flowers, if you like, or a combination yeah, of yeah. weeds and flowers that are that are growing out there, and 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 so it just hasn't gotten uh, enough attention, but. You know, if it keeps up, I think it will. Um, if it keeps up at this level and continues to grow, uh, I imagine it will begin to get more scrutiny, um, especially if we find, um, you know, more examples of um, projects where, you know, they were competitively awarded, but everybody knows who's going to get it. And once there's a quote unquote competition, even though it's not an effective competition and the program has, has won a contract, it can continue to get money year in and year out from Congress. Uh, a lot of these are repeat uh, repeat funding lines. Okay. Well, it's an eye-opening story that folks should check out. It's it's on CQ.com or RollCall.com. It's worth a read because there's a lot of valuable, uh, interesting information in there on, on how this stuff works and how all this money gets funneled into these defense bills with virtually no scrutiny. That's all the time we have for today. If you like what you heard here, you should subscribe to the CQ Budget newsletter, which hits your inbox every morning that Congress is in session. You can find that at CQ.com. My thanks again to Aidan Quigley and John Donnelly for joining me today. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks again. And thank you all for listening. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. You can find all of our coverage at CQ.com or RollCall.com. We'll see you next time.